All right, well, hello, everyone. Thanks for coming. We'll try to keep the echo down a little bit. Uh, so my name is Brian Cross, and I am a solutions engineer with GitHub. You may have heard of GitHub. Uh, how many people use GitHub, either professionally or personally? Awesome. I know you do, Toby. All right, so GitHub just recently celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, as an independent company. And as we do every year around this time, we release what we call the State of the Octoverse Report. I thought it might be fun to just kind of bring everyone up to speed on exactly how big GitHub and the world of open source uh, software has become over that decade. So this year, uh, we noted 1.1 billion contributions to GitHub this year, whether that's issues, pull requests, comments, or commits, 1.1 billion from a population of over 31 million developers on the platform, and this has been growing by leaps and bounds every year since, uh, since we started. We crossed the 100 million repository milestone at some point in the last couple of months. We are now north of 100 million individual repositories of source code, and 8 million new developers joined the platform in the last year, which is actually more developers than joined GitHub over the first six years of the platform's existence. So growth in every respect in terms of the number of users, the people participating, the number of repositories, the amount of source code and knowledge on the GitHub platform is growing really almost exponentially. 80% of our users are from outside the United States, and we see this trend continuing in our growth patterns as well. So we have begun to do a lot of work uh, in places like Latin America. Obviously, we've been working uh, for a while in Europe. Uh, Australia and Asia, uh, but GitHub and the world of InterSource software is truly an international community, and we are very excited to see these growth numbers uh, in uh, the international community as well. So before we get started, just some fun. If you guys have all seen this, since there's so few of you, you can just raise your hand. But I always like to start off with, what's a Git? People ask me, what's GitHub? What do you mean? What are you talking about? So it all goes back to this guy uh, who is named Linus Torvalds. Anybody not know who Linus Torvalds is? We all know who Linus Torvalds is. So Linus, arguably, is responsible for two of the greatest software innovations of the last 30, 40 years, or maybe even ever. Obviously, he wrote the Linux operating system, which he then uh, egomaniacally named after himself. But he got tired of the way that the source code control system he was using to manage the Linux project actually worked. It wasn't good for distributed teams. It wasn't good for folks that were working at different times. It wasn't good for asynchronous communication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he sat down over a weekend and came up with a solution, a new version control uh, system that he called Git, which, again, he named after himself, since in British slang, a Git is an unpleasant or contemptible person. So if you want to use it in a sentence, for example, you can say, if you can't figure out who the Git on your team is, it's probably you. So a little bit more about Linus. Uh, its performance evaluation season is coming up. I know we uh, are all looking forward to that. So this year, Linus is going to be able to point to over $41.5 billion of direct shareholder equity value created from companies based on technologies that he's pretty much single-handedly responsible for. So it's very likely that his performance review will be better than any of ours. All right, so as I mentioned, I work for GitHub. Uh, GitHub has been traditionally sort of viewed as the home of open source software, and it certainly is that. Uh, but we are also very serious about providing an effective platform for folks to use at work in the enterprise. Actually, in the enterprise, the small business, the medium business, any concern 
where creating and managing the software development process is what you do for work. And of course, our flagship product is GitHub Business Cloud. This is our uh, software as a service offering to github.com that we all know and love. GitHub Business Cloud has been enhanced and fortified with features for the enterprise uh, like SAML, uh, SSO single sign-on, uh, the Actions beta that has been uh, so well received over the last couple of months since we announced it at Universe, and many more features coming in the future to really make GitHub Business Cloud the premier uh, online source code development and management uh, platform. But what many folks are still unaware of, even after all these years, is the fact that we also have a self-hosted solution, which we call GitHub Enterprise. So what does this mean? This means that if for whatever reason you're not as comfortable with putting your valuable IP in the cloud, you can have the same GitHub user experience in your own environment, whether that's uh, on your own data center or in a cloud provider like AWS. So from the developer desktop point of view, it's almost impossible to tell the difference. We have the same user experience on GitHub Enterprise as we do uh, with GitHub.com. Uh, the platform is extremely scalable. We have many customers that are running over 10,000 customers on a single instance. It's easy to manage and upgrade, typically just a few commands. You can hot patch uh, and hot fix in most cases. Uh, it's very easy to add in critical enterprise features like high availability and disaster recovery. Uh, and it's just as much a true platform for software development and DevOps as our cloud solution, GitHub Business Cloud. So let me talk a little bit about uh, my role in these proceedings here. So that's me, my role, uh, Principal Solutions Engineer at GitHub. Uh, and what this means is that I am part of a team charged with doing what I'm doing right now, which is telling you about GitHub uh, and then helping, working with you, working with customers, working with users both before and after the sale to understand how best to utilize the power of the platform and also to make sure that our customers are getting the maximum value for their investment in whichever of our platforms that, uh, that they've decided to, uh, to purchase. So I, I work with a team of uh, dedicated, uh, very hardworking and very ethical folks, uh, and we all very much believe in the mission of GitHub. Now having said that, it's also true that I'm just a sales guy, so maybe or maybe not you can trust anything that comes out of my mouth. So uh, we're gonna see in this presentation. So when my friends from Cox Automotive uh, were interested in implementing GitHub Enterprise, uh, they told me that they wanted to run it on uh, AWS, and I said, that's fantastic. All you have to do is find an AMI, uh, which is simple enough to do, click the blue button, and uh, you're good to go. You're ready to, uh, to run GitHub Enterprise on AWS. <clears throat> so that was the sales guy and me talking. Uh, and I guess we're gonna find out in a moment whether or not what I said was true or if there's more to the story as there typically is. So without further ado, I will hand it over to the guy who actually does the work that makes all this happen, uh, my friend Felipe Ramirez from Cox Automotive. All right. Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> so my name is Felipe Ramirez. I'm a senior systems engineer uh, at Cox Automotive. I work on the commercial off-the-shelf tools team and uh, we're responsible for providing uh, our software engineers with development tools like GitHub Enterprise. Um, today, I'm gonna talk to you about how we run GitHub Enterprise on AWS, uh, but specifically around why and uh, how we use code to define our GitHub Enterprise environments. So a bit about me. Uh, I started my career as a sysadmin, 
primarily focused on infrastructure and operations. Uh, a few years ago, a company that I was with um, was in the middle of transitioning from a traditional IT organization to more of a DevOps practice, and that was a huge game changer for me. Um, by that time, I had been in IT for over a decade, and I was just starting to get burnt out with the reactive nature of being a sysadmin and um, operations in general. So the idea of uh, taking a proactive approach in my role as an engineer and doing things like infrastructure as code and continuous improvement really appealed to me. And that's been my focus uh, ever since. So I joined Cox Automotive uh, a little bit over a year ago. Uh, at the time, I didn't realize it, but we're actually a pretty large organization. We have about 34,000 employees worldwide, um, spread across 27 different brands, some of which include some well-known companies um, like Auto Trader, Kelly Blue Book, and Mannheim. Uh, we recently acquired two car subscription services, uh, Clutch and FlexDrive, which I think is super exciting. Um, it's, it's just been a really amazing, um, it's been really amazing to be a part of our vision to transform the way the world uh, buys, sells, and owns cars. So a quick note about this session. Um, all of the code that we're going over will be available at this repo here. Um, also, the slides that we're going through are also available there uh, as well. So if you miss something, you can go through that at your leisure there. So let's take a look at what we're going to cover. Um, we're going to start off by taking a look at what uh, GitHub Enterprise high availability on AWS uh, looks like. Then we're going to walk through some example code um, of how we stand up our GitHub Enterprise infrastructure with Terraform. Next, we'll look at using the Management Console API to apply a configuration from uh, an existing GitHub Enterprise appliance to a new one, and then how we use Terraform to automate that. And then last, we'll take a look at some, uh, some ideas we've got about making this whole process better and do a little bit more for us down the road. So let's take a look at what uh, GitHub Enterprise high availability looks like on AWS. Um, high availability, or HA, consists of uh, two GitHub Enterprise appliances uh, in an active-passive arrangement. So in this type of configuration, you have a primary appliance that um, actively serves your users with all things GitHub, and um, every change that gets made to that appliance uh, is synced over to the replica appliance in real time. So in the event that a primary appliance experiences a failure, uh, you would initiate a failover on the replica with just a few simple commands and then update your DNS to point to the IP address of the promoted replica. So obviously these appliances um, should be in isolated environments, each with their own power and connectivity. Uh, the nice thing here is that you easily get that with AWS availability zones. So before we move on, uh, I do want to mention that high availability does not replace backups. Uh, there's still the potential for uh, data loss or corruption to occur if the, you know, if that happens on the primary appliance that's going to get immediately uh, synced over to the replica. 
So if that happens, your only option to recover any data is really to do that from uh, a backup. Uh, the nice thing here is that GitHub provides a perfect tool uh, called GitHub Enterprise Backup Utilities. It runs on a dedicated host and performs snapshots of your Git data uh, with very little overhead to your primary appliance. So I, I definitely recommend doing that um, in addition to having HA um, in production in your environment. All right, so let's talk about creating the underlying um, GitHub Enterprise infrastructure with code. Before you get started though, you might be asking, well, why do this? Uh, as Brian mentioned, setting up GitHub Enterprise is pretty simple and even more so on AWS. Well, there are a few reasons you might consider this. Um, code is documentation. A common problem that we have, um, you know, maintaining systems is that more often than not, um, documentation of how we got all this to work is the last thing on anyone's mind. Um, and it's the last thing it gets done, if it gets done at all. Uh, so by defining all of this uh, in code up front, uh, the code itself essentially, essentially becomes your documentation. Um, so you know, anyone from your team, you happen to be out on vacation, they could refer to your, um, to your infrastructure code and kind of get an idea of how things were set up. Consistency and speed. Uh, in my case, when I started at Cox Automotive, I had never worked with GitHub Enterprise before. So the first thing on my agenda was to stand up um, an environment of my own to tinker with. Um, so defining this in code gave me and anyone else um, just the ability to stand up these environments identical to production uh, quickly and, and more reliably than doing it by hand. So this is subjective, I know, but uh, I actually had a lot of fun doing this. This was my first foray into Terraform, and uh, the fact that there's so, much, so many examples out there um, and documentation on Terraform, I was able to make progress really quickly um, and ended up learning a lot, not just about Terraform, but also about AWS and GitHub Enterprise, obviously. So what is Terraform? Um, simply put, it's an open source tool that allows you to describe things like your EC2 instances, storage, uh, DNS, pretty much anything related to the infrastructure using version configuration files. The nice thing too is that it also gives you the option of uh, writing your infrastructure code as reusable templates um, or modules as they're called. And this helps to avoid um, things like code duplication and just allows for basic code organization. Um, and it's how we're gonna be defining the, uh, our GitHub Enterprise environment in the examples we're gonna see. All right, so let's take a look at our first piece of code. Um, GitHub Enterprise is distributed as a virtual appliance image, as uh, Brian mentioned. So the first thing that we need to do in our Terraform code is search for this AMI. Um, Terraform has what are called data sources, and what that allows is um, data to be fetched uh, and used elsewhere in your Terraform configuration. So here we're using the AWS AMI data source to provide us with the um, ID of the AMI that we're looking for, uh, just using a couple of values to narrow down our search. Um, 
So if you look down at the bottom, uh, you'll see that we're specifying an owner ID. All this does is ensure that any AMIs that we pull in are going to be those published by GitHub. Uh, then we're searching for a string matching the name of the AMI uh, along with a version number, but the version number is going to be is being supplied as an input variable um, completely separate. Well, it's going to be supplied in a completely separate piece of code um, that we're going to look at towards the end. But essentially what you have here are the makings of a module. So let's move on to creating the actual appliances themselves. Um, here we're specifying our instance settings, our storage options, and then a name tag down at the bottom. Here we're pulling in uh, that AMI ID from the data source that we saw on the previous slide. And then we're also telling Terraform to create two identically configured instances with a single block of code. So a side note, um, when I was doing this uh, manually, I had actually uh, configured the primary and replica appliance uh, different from each other. And GitHub actually recommends that those two appliances be configured identically in terms of CPU, memory, and RAM. Um, so doing this in code mitigates those little silly mistakes. Uh, next, we're specifying the subnet IDs to put these instances in. Um, we're gonna specify this as a list of two subnet IDs later on. Uh, but the nice thing here is that we could use Terraform's built-in element function to distribute each instance uh, one per subnet. And that makes sure that we're following best practice by keeping each appliance in separate availability zones. So another side note. Um, when I was doing this manually in our uh, staging environment, I actually put both appliances um, in the same availability zone by mistake. So it was staging, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but again, silly mistakes could have been avoided you know, using code. Uh, so let's talk about this name tag here at the bottom. Um, we want to differentiate between our primary and replica appliances and between any other GitHub Enterprise instances running on our AWS account. Um, there are four engineers on our team, and we could have you know, anywhere from six or eight instances running at any one time, so we need to differentiate between all those. Something that's worked for us is using this naming convention where we take the uh, first part of our GitHub Enterprise hostname and use that as an environment tag. So for example, if my test environment has a host name of mygithub.example.com, um, I would use the environment tag of mygithub for my instances and any other AWS resources related to that environment. So we can actually um, take that out using Terraform's uh, built-in split function um, against our host name that we're gonna be providing later on. So since we're gonna be using this tag uh, throughout our code down the road, we're gonna add this expression as a local variable in Terraform so that we can refer to it using that short name of env tag. So if we go back to the tag assignment, um, you can see that um, we're calling that expression using that local variable that we just saw. And then we're using the format function in Terraform to add a number suffix to each instance 
starting with the number zero so that we end up with a couple instances named mygithub1 uh, and mygithub0. My GitHub Next, let's take a look at how we're defining our security group and rules. Um, we're starting off by defining our security group uh, resource in one block and then our security group rules as uh, separate blocks. Um, so we could have gone ahead and defined this as one giant block together. Uh, and that's uh, called, uh, those are called inline blocks. But you want to avoid doing that um, when you're creating modules because there have been issues that come up when you mix um, the use of inline blocks and uh, separate resources like we're doing here in the same configuration. So next, uh, GitHub's recommendation is to use Elastic IPs with our instances. So we can use uh, Terraform splat syntax to automatically assign those in that one block of code when those instances get created. So let's move on to DNS. Um, here we're creating a zone for our GitHub Enterprise environment based off the host name. Um, we're creating an A record for that host name along with a wildcard entry. And both of these are gonna to point to our instance ending in dash zero. The nice thing here is that we could switch uh, these DNS records to point to our second appliance uh, if we end up promoting it as primary right within Terraform uh, via that records line. So let's take a closer look at that line. You can see here that we can control whether this points to uh, the zero or one instance depending on this var.primary variable. So if that's set to zero, um, then it uses the true value. And if it's set to anything else other than zero, it uses the value on the other side of that colon, the false value. So at this point, we're done with the module code used to define our infrastructure. So now let's take a look at how we configure a new appliance once it's created uh, using the Management Console API. Let's start, though, by quickly walking through the setup of a brand new out-of-the-box appliance. So accessing a new appliance via browser immediately drops you into the setup of um, the Management Console. So you're asked to provide a license file and then set the console password. Next, you'll be asked to choose the type of install. We'll choose new install here. And then we're redirected to the settings portion in order to customize our appliance. So the last step is to click Save Settings to Apply. This kicks off a configuration process, takes a few minutes, uh, but once it's finished, you've got a working appliance. So pretty simple, but if I wanted to duplicate these settings onto a new appliance, uh, I could do this much quicker by exporting this configuration and applying it to my new appliance with the Management Console API. So I can use the Retrieve Settings endpoint uh, to pull an existing appliance's settings uh, and export it to a file. We just need to supply the existing appliance's Management Console password as uh, the API key shown here and then redirect that um, output to a file. And what you end up getting is this long JSON string of uh, settings like the ones that you see here. So now that we've got the settings file for our existing appliance, um, 
Let's take a look at how we apply this configuration to our new appliance. Uh, the first thing that we need to do um, is to make sure that our new appliance is up and ready uh, to take API requests. The easiest way to do this is by checking the string, uh, checking for the string set, set up GitHub Enterprise uh, against the management console URL. And you could do that using curl. Uh, one thing to note here is that um, a GitHub Enterprise appliance out of the box is configured with a self-signed certificate. So um, in order for curl to ignore this certificate and to proceed, you have to supply it with this K option. Otherwise, this command just fails. So like we saw in the browser earlier, uh, the first thing that we need to do is upload our license file and set a password. And we could do that using this endpoint uh, with a post method. Uh, next, we'll upload our settings based off the file that we captured from our existing appliance. Uh, the nice thing here is that we can pass in a modified version of this file uh, with only the settings that we want to carry over to the new appliance. Uh, finally, we apply these settings with a post method to this endpoint, uh, which kicks off that configuration process, which is similar to what we saw um, when we click Save Settings in the browser. So this is great. It's a lot more efficient than specifying config settings by hand, uh, but let's take it a step further by executing all these commands automatically within Terraform. So we're gonna to need to supply an initial management console password, uh, then use that same password to access our API endpoints. Um, we could store this in AWS uh, Systems Manager Parameter Store as a secure string, and then pull that into our configuration using a Terraform data source. So we'll stick with our naming convention and store it under the path um, MyGitHub for our environment tag and then give it the parameter name uh, GHE password. One thing that's worth noting here is uh, that Terraform by default keeps changes that it uh, makes within a state file locally on your machine. So sensitive strings like passwords also get stored in that state file, but in plain text. So as a best practice, uh, you should be storing your state in a remote backend like S3 with encryption at rest turned on. Uh, we won't be diving into that here, but it's something to keep in mind if you are going to use Terraform. So now we can use this data source, um, the AWS SSM parameter data source, to pull our password value from parameter store. Um, since we're going to be using this value multiple times, um, we'll add it to our locals block with a short name, GHE password. So now we're ready to add the execution of these API commands to Terraform. So I know there's a lot going on here, um, but what the point I want to get across is that we're using what's called a local exec provisioner um, in Terraform. And what this does is invoke those curl commands that we saw earlier uh, from the local workstation as part of a Terraform apply that gets run. Uh, since we only need the first appliance to be configured with our exported settings, um, we'll add these uh, local exec commands to a null resource block. 
So this just allows um, us to create a resource that behaves like any other, but is completely independent from any other existing resources in the config. So all that makes up our final working module, which looks like this. Um, now we need to specify all of those variable values specific to our environment. And we do this completely outside of our module repo in what we call our live environment repo. This one's a lot simpler. Uh, it just contains our license and settings file and uh, main.tf file. So let's take a look at that main.tf file now. So we start off by specifying our provider and region at the top, uh, then a module block that contains our specific values. Uh, the source line here tells Terraform where to fetch this module from. Uh, in this case, it's our rein reInvent 18 repo. Uh, this is automatically cloned down to the workstation running Terraform, so there's no need for this module code to be on, the, uh, on your workstation ahead of time. So we're also using the ref argument to specify a specific release of our module. Um, we use that quite a bit because it allows us to test against um, specific feature branches and versions without affecting other environments that are using the same module. Next, we have our GitHub Enterprise um, settings where we specify our version, host name, and our license and settings file names. Then we've got our variable that designates uh, which of our appliances is considered primary for our DNS records. And then we specify a VPC uh, with two subnets that we want each appliance to reside in. And then we wrap it up with our instance type and volume size that we wanna use, and that's it. Uh, as long as we have our settings and license file residing in that same directory, uh, along with our uh, password up in parameter store, we can run Terraform apply to create our new environment. So this is a lot quicker than launching and configuring our environment by hand, but what else could we do here? Um, how could we extend this even further? So one thing that we were thinking was um, to automate the HA configuration on the replica appliance. Um, while this code creates both appliances used in a high availability configuration, it only creates, uh, or it only configures the primary appliance, and it leaves the replica untouched. Um, setting up replication is pretty simple. It only takes a few steps uh, on the replica appliance, but it would be nice to have that automated as part of this as well. We've also thought about using, um, about executing this Terraform code within AWS code pipeline. So this would remove the dependency of having a workstation necessary to run Terraform apply and would also give us the ability to run things like smoke test and other post-install scripts uh, after any changes are applied and have that done automatically. So everyone here already knows that your data restores are only as good as your backups and we should be testing our backups on some kind of a regular basis. So I'd really love to see the ability to test my backups on a daily basis. Um, basically have an automated process that pulls the most recent backup from production, uh, restores it to a spot instance, runs some verification tests, and then notifies us of the result. So that's it. That about does it. Um, before we wrap up though, 
I want to remind everyone that um, all of our code examples are up on this repo here, so you could take a, a look at those uh, at your leisure. And we have plenty of time for questions, if anybody has any. If not, then... Oh, you do, okay, cool. I'm, I'm having a little bit of uh, trouble hearing you. Um, yeah. I don't think that's turned on. There we go. And when you deploy the enterprise, uh, GitHub Enterprise version on the AWS, how your uh, internal user, for example, your developer team, uh, access it by the public IP or by the internal IP? Uh, no, by uh, public IP. By public IP. Yeah, well, um, there's a public DNS name that maps to the elastic IP address of our GitHub Enterprise Appliance. Okay. Uh, could I know the user distribution in the world is only in the US or is distribution in a different uh, country? Uh, say that again, I didn't quite get that. Uh, for the internal user, is it, is it, if it's in the only one location or, the, or in a different location, um, no, there, so yeah, are, are you talking about like having um, uh, like multi-region type GitHub instances? Yes, or, yes. Yeah, we're not, so that's actually another thing that we, we want to look into as well. Um, I know that came out quite a bit ago, um, but it isn't anything that we have uh, implemented to date. Okay, thank you. Yep. Anybody else? All right. Well, load balance between the primary and, so say you'd have two primaries, right, and put it in a pool. Yeah, so um, GitHub Enterprise isn't configured that way. Um, it's, it's, that's just the way that it's um, set up, and Brian, you might have a better answer for this, but you know, that's the way it comes out of the box is it's in an active-passive configuration. It, it is an active-passive configuration out of the box, and uh, um, we find that there really isn't a need for doing that kind of, am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, we find that, uh, you know, we have customers that run uh, 20,000 or more users on a single instance. We don't find that load balancing or the need to have uh, uh, multiple nodes to handle loads is really a thing yet. Having said that, that is how we run github.com with the very large loads that, uh, that it experiences. So that may change at some point in the future, but for now, uh, a single instance will cover just about every conceivable uh, population of developers and automated loads coming in from uh, DevOps tooling. Uh, so it's not really a thing. The active-passive works very well. And in fact, customers rarely fail over. Uh, so even that is rarely exercised. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Cool. So it's like a single-tier um, database where it's on the same node, the database. So with GitHub, the SaaS, what does it use for a back-end database with all the nodes communicating? Is it are they all communicating to one centralized database, or are they all single? Oh, it's a, it's a very heavily sharded MySQL database on GitHub.com, uh, and there's a lot of magic with edge networks that, honestly, I don't know how that works, to tell you the truth. Uh, but with GitHub Enterprise, we find, um, again, you know, 20, 22,000 users, a single appliance is still plenty. And it's pretty robust. Thank you.
How do you handle if you have a, or AWS has a regional issue and you have your Terraform code on there? How do you get back service? So one thing that we do um, is we actually have a Lambda function that um, takes a snapshot, an EBS volume snapshot of the uh, data volume of our GitHub Enterprise Backup Utilities instance and uh, ships that off over to a different region. Um, and you know, in the event that we do have a, a regional failure, um, we would basically uh, point our Terraform code to that new region, uh, create, use it to create our instances, um, and then restore from that backup that exists in that region. Um, so, I mean, it isn't something that's instantaneous. It would take as long as it takes to restore from a backup. Um, but yeah, it's, that's what we do today to address that. Anyone else? Because your user is access your GitHub Enterprise versions by the public IP, do you deploy any protection before, before the GitHub EC2? Um, so we have been actively looking into that. Um, there are some uh, built-in protections with uh, AWS that we've been reviewing, um, but to date it's, it's something that's still kind of in flux. So we're just still looking at that. Okay. Um, and as you already deployed, I think, I, I, just as I remember, I think that the, for the license part cost, I think the GitHub.com cost is similar as the GitHub Enterprise version. Uh, as you already choose to use public IP to provide your service, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is different between the use the GitHub.com directly Yep, that's a good question. So at the time uh, when this decision was made by you know, the higher ups, um, at the time, one of the things that really was important to us was SAML authentication. Um, and from what I understand, I don't believe that github.com had that capability. Um, so we made the jump and went to GitHub Enterprise. Uh, but today, that's not the case. GitHub.com does have. Right. So GitHub.com uh, does offer SAML authentication, SSO, and a bunch of other features that are making it a more robust uh, business slash enterprise platform. The primary reasons now that people go with GitHub Enterprise are, uh, there's three. Um, they have specific concerns about where their data are physically stored. Uh, and there are many uh, countries, legal and regulatory frameworks around the world that have something to say about that. Uh, or a variation on that, they're concerned about what type of data they're storing and they want control over that for, for like actual physical control. Uh, if they're storing PII or sensitive information for government agencies or things like that. And then frankly, the, uh, the third reason that people choose our self-hosted solution is not every shop is at the same point in their journey to the cloud, right? I think we all sort of realize we're all going there eventually. Some of us are going faster than others. And it's very important, I think, to be able to meet the needs of customers who aren't ready to put their crown jewels, you know, the IP that drives their value uh, in a publicly hosted service. So in fact, on AWS, you have uh, you know, the same capabilities you'd have with any other application you host there uh, to protect uh, 
your GitHub Enterprise instance that you're running on AWS. So there's nothing specific to AWS that makes it more or less secure, obviously, from running it in your own data center. Um, you have plenty of options around how to, how to manage access and, and also, frankly, how to harden that installation. Okay, thank you. All right, well, I think that... I think everybody asked a question, that's great. 100% coverage, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, y'all, very yes, much. Yes, thank you. Enjoy the uh, rest of reInvent.